Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. My name is Janice, one of the pastors of the city. And this morning, I want to start with a story and uh, just uh, stick with me. Okay, there's a point to this. So on Wednesday, uh, I wanted to ask my son, who is in P1, so he's still doing HBL uh, at home this week. I asked him to move uh, his workstation to the dining table because I was working on my laptop there. I asked him to move his, his Chinese work. So he, was, he went to get his stuff and he has a bunch of things to carry, his worksheets, a couple of books, his water bottle, his stationery. So it took a while and then after a few moments, then eventually he came to the table. Uh, and before I looked up, he came and he said laughing to, to me and he said, Mommy, look, I have a third hand. So, and I looked why he sounded funny and I looked at him and I saw him uh, with his hands full, with his stationery and stuff. And then <laughs> apparently he grabbed his water bottle strap with his mouth also and through his teeth, gritted teeth, he said, like, look, Mommy, I have a third hand. And I thought that was so funny. So I really like that really cracked me up. But then later on, it struck me that he's doing exactly what he has seen me do all the time in the house. I often move around the house with uh, a lot of things in my hands and uh, if necessary, I'll use my mouth. And so totally, he's totally copying me, imitating me and I guess there are a lot of other things worse that he could imitate but I thought I was really funny and uh, it, it made my day, we had a good laugh. Now during this circuit breaker period that we're moving out from, right in this season, so we've just had one week uh, post-CB, right? Um, I realized just looking back, we're starting to miss it already because we had so much precious times uh, together. And I'm sure that despite certain moments where maybe there was some friction or certain things that felt uncomfortable staying at home with people that you share the same household with so much, uh, but still, you know, if you would, in hindsight or even in the midst of it, we can see or we can recognize that there were moments when it was really precious time spent together. And, uh, and, and just like us with the kids, I mean, it was a joy seeing them learn from each other and uh, us learning from them how they interact as well and how in they interact with us. And of course, that includes both good and bad stuff. And then also, without question, they, they also are watching and observing our every move. It was really a precious time. And, and so I pray that even as we continue to, you know, uh, uh, transition from post-CV and, and into uh, moving forward from here, some of us going back to work, uh, going back to school, that some of the things that rub off on each other that we've had in our households, the good stuff, stick with us as we go from here and uh, that we're for the better, right? Amen. So good morning to you again. And uh, I want to share that story also because I wanted to remind us in this series as we are talking about people of the Spirit, uh, that we need to remember we are to be formed by the Spirit, right? Not by our environment, not by other spirits or um, stuff we get told by culture, the things we notice around us or our habits that go unchecked, right? But we are to be formed by the Spirit of God, which means that uh, we adopt the ways of God, the values of God, and uh, imitate Him in that way, right? And let God transform us inside out right, from our spirits. But not only that, when we say people of spirit, we're also remembering that we're formed as a people, right, as a group of people, which means we're choosing to imitate God not alone, 
but in community, which is very important. So life groups, very important, who share those ways and values of God. And not just by any relationship we gravitate to or we enjoy, our, our social affiliations or friendship circles, interest groups, but we're talking about imitate God together with people who share those ways and values. And that would mean community that's not only intentional, but intense, right? And I want to sh uh, remind us of this diagram that we shared before, which uh, tells us how we ought to be intentionally formed in our spiritual lives, right? Not by our environment, but the Holy Spirit. And uh, really, there are three parts of it. Is they're very key uh, in terms of integrating them together. And I realized that many of us, and for good reason, because it's very necessary, we paid a lot of attention to, because of social distancing, just feeling physically distant from each other, we paid a lot of attention to ensure that we stay connected, right? And, and socially, you know, we're still relating to people, whether it's through social media or video calls or phone calls, uh, all sorts of ways. But I just want to remind us as a church that you know, it's important to be integrated in our spirituality. And that is like what teachings we receive on Sunday. Uh, we are being careful to apply them, practice them uh, at home or you know, when we go out, but also in community. Right? So they, they work together, these three aspects, so that our spiritual formation is intentional and we truly become people of the Spirit. Right? Why? Because of the understanding that we need to have in the times that we have, we are in. Second Timothy, I think Pastor Andre has mentioned this passage before. We'll take a look at it again, Second Timothy chapter 3, where it says in verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, Longless, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but without its power. Right. And then we skip straight to, we notice in verse 10, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. And he goes on. And so he's telling Tim, uh, continue in what you have learned. So he's basically saying, you have seen me, you followed me, imitate me, right, as I imitate Christ, uh, because there will come these days, in the last days, when things uh, uh, require us to understand the times in which we live. So with that, I hope you're ready for the word. Say yes, I'm ready. And yeah, last Sunday we looked at the fruit of peace, right? So this week we're going to look at um, goodness, because in Galatians 5, one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Right. We'll say a prayer and then I'll jump right in. Father, we just thank you that this morning we can uh, worship you together as a church, as your people of your spirit. And we ask that um, even as we open up your scriptures, may our hearts be open to you, um, spirit, that you would deposit in each of us something that would bring forth a goodness for your kingdom that is not of our own doing, but yours. And we pray, God, that you would knit us together as your people who love good and who do good. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
Alright, now, today I'm calling it imminent goodness and I'll explain a little bit why. It's a bit of an odd word, uh, but let's pray that we'll get to where uh, I feel God wants us to go with it. One characteristic of the fruit that I've always found difficult to explain is goodness, okay? And uh, I'm going to start off with how I often think of the word good, okay? How we use it. Um, we would say, I had a good time, that was a good meal, he's a good guy, um, that sounds like a good plan, or do you want some coffee? I'm good, right? That's kind of how we usually use it. Uh, we use it quite liberally, like the word awesome. Uh, and at home, I say this a lot, oh my goodness, okay? Or maybe when you hang out with me, I say that a lot. So we use good or goodness, we use it to describe something that's pleasant, not offensive, very agreeable, it's mild, nice, okay? But in the past couple of weeks, got some really bad things happen, right? Uh, in some of the nations, some things have escalated, and I mean like in the backdrop of it, the whole world is trying to deal with COVID-19. Right, we're still reading it, the impact of that. But meanwhile, these things go on. And they've always been there. And they'll go on and on. Just like Second Timothy that we've looked at. I mean, we've seen injustices, kidnappings, um, genocide, racism, brutality, all kinds of things. Um, kidnappings. I mean, just these go on and on. They're really heartbreaking. And that's why I think some of us, we don't enjoy watching the news very much. But of course, we keep a rest. But these things are painful and they're absolutely not good. Not good at all. So what is good? What does good mean when we hear the word? And what does it uh, look like, right? If we would imagine the goodness of God amidst the bad stuff. Okay, that's everywhere. That's pervasive. So we'll start with the notion of goodness as it pertains to God's goodness. All right. Now, in Hebrew, the word for good, you probably have heard it um, watching movies or uh, here and there. Mazel tov, right? Tov is the word for good. And um, the, that's the Hebrew word for it that is a ridiculously small word, but it's very expansive. Not, not, not expensive. Expansive in its use and its meaning, right? The way that we use the word good with the way that tov is used of God in Scripture is very different, staggeringly different. In the creation account, is all the way back where Tov was first used in scripture. Genesis 1 verse 10, when on the third day of creation, God steps back and he says, it is good. It's the word Tov, right? And so you, you get the sense of Tov being associated very closely with God and his divine goodness in all of creation. And that's you and me, and the world we see, right? Created order. Tov, therefore, in scripture, really is primarily used of God. And it's used to describe his essential nature, his kind, his loving, his faithful, his just, his righteous, faithful, trustworthy, dependable, all these things. He is Tov. He is good. What about the notion of goodness as it pertains to us in this world? No. When we live, leave our kids with the grandparents, besides saying things like, please eat properly, okay? Finish your water. One thing that's super common that we say is, be good, huh? okay? Be good. Now that usually means, please don't misbehave, right? 
that's how, uh, that's what I'm thinking when I'm telling my kids, be good, please don't misbehave. Or sometimes I'll leave them to play by themselves, I'll step away, and then I'll come back, and maybe one of them will say, I've been good, mommy, right? What that would mean is usually, mommy, I, I didn't uh, throw Kaka's toys out the window, or, you know, well, I didn't do anything bad. I didn't do anything, mommy, right? I've been good. I've been good. I've been a good boy, mommy. That's what it means when they say that. And so I think we have this sort of subconscious idea of goodness being not doing anything bad, right? Or just plain not doing anything, which is really not a very exciting notion of what goodness should mean. Uh, maybe when we think of like business partner or a project group mate, you, you want someone who's a good person, dependable, safe, predictable, reliable. But the problem is this notion of goodness can also mean um, predictable, uh, very safe, um, kind of um, not creative or docile, how about that, passive, right? But that's not a very exciting notion of goodness, I must say. I mean, I don't know, maybe you can't relate or maybe you can. But take a look at the example of Jesus in scripture, right? And you'll find his version of goodness. That's intriguing. That is exciting. Someone who, you know, talks to people who others won't even touch, who will go near. He would seek out those that are marginalized. He heals with saliva and soil. He um, does uh, things that you sometimes can't expect um, or say stuff that are very challenging, very provocative sometimes. Uh, amidst the kind words that he says, is all these things. And um, he sits with sinners, right? Things like that. That kind of good, that's exciting. I, I think we like that kind of good. That, that is the good we're talking about. But what's jarring is the world that we live in is far from this. Jarring is an understatement, right? That God intends for creation and yet the world we see. So we talked about God's goodness. What about our brokenness? And that's where we're at. Because of our sin and the sin nature that's in every one of us, which is none of us are exempted, there is an inherent inclination to defy God and things of God. So sin is basically departure from what God said was tov, right? God's intended goodness in creation. Sin is a departure from that, right? Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We are all like unclean things, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And uh, uh, in Romans 3, Paul, taking from a couple of Psalms, verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's you and I. In Matthew 15, 19, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This gives you a depiction of the sin nature in all of humanity. If the starting point then is our sin nature, then any effort to be good would be tainted. Filthy rags. That's the problem right there. It's because 
starting from our sin nature, in that worldview, it precludes God. God is not in the picture. We would then focus on what the world conceives as what good is or what it should look like. And from that worldview, then, it is a problem of our motivation because if there is no God in the worldview, then there is self and there's other selves, right? Just humans. And there is no higher purpose. So then even in striving to be good and to do good, um, if it, it boils down to it's done for our own benefit, whether it is we're afraid of, you know, what karma, like, you know, doing good because, you know, doing bad, would, it would come back to you, right? It's for our own benefit. Um, then it's not truly goodness that we possess. So in the problem of our worldview, our motivation, which also is then our belief system, because we have trouble really believing there is a God. And so what more a God who is good in the midst of all the bad stuff we see. So that makes it hard to live out goodness because where's the source? And we would even non-Christians or Christians alike, we would be suspicious of our ability to really be good, right? Um, we know that we are messed up. And at some point, everyone realizes that we're messed up. And yet we try to be good, right? And that's a problem. So two ways that usually we try to cultivate or, or nurture some form of goodness on our own are two ways, right? Um, one is we amass knowledge. Um, we try to read a lot or learn a lot, different cultures or whatever, very widely and well-read, and which is not a bad thing, but when it becomes a way that we try to attain goodness, because then the more I know, then the more I know how to be good, or the more goodness than I can uh, do or be, okay, and live out of that knowledge. So we amass knowledge to try to attain some level of goodness on our own. Another way that we often try is exerting willpower. And we know that very well, like, you know, try harder, mind over matter, or um, the, if, if I would just try hard enough, I can be good enough, right? I can be good. I can be the kind of person that I need to be and I should be. So these two ways, are how we usually try to attain goodness on our own. But the only way is not very different from what we've heard last week, is, it? is that goodness can only come from God. There is an interesting conversation Jesus had with uh, a young guy in Mark 10. And so this young guy, uh, rich young ruler, some Bible translations would call him that, uh, he came to Jesus and he says, good teacher or good rabbi, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer to him was, well, why do you call me good? The only one who is good is God. But so then, it's not that Jesus was having a game with him, but that in that conversation, from the start of his question, you can tell that his worldview was, his starting point was himself. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus, not that he didn't really know, he says, well, um, why do you call me good, right? And he says, well, do the Torah, right? Do the commandments. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not lie, do not steal. And so the guy says, 
well, I've done all this since I was young. I mean, it, you know, some of you are scholars. He's like scholar of scholars, right? I mean, he's basically saying, uh, I, I know all these, and I've done all this. So what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus continues that conversation with him. And you can read up the rest of it, what happens in Mark 10 uh, when Jesus did that. But my point is this, that the only way to have goodness is when it is from God. In Romans 7, Paul knew very well uh, when he wrote, he's another scholar, right? He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So he goes on then in Philippians 3, and I chose the message version because it really brings out uh, uh, this point that we're looking at. Is He says, well, if anyone has credentials, it's Paul. Right, And he says here in verses 7 to 9 in Philippians 3, with these credentials that people treat as something special, I'm tearing up. Uh, and just along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? He says, because of Christ. All the things I thought were important, they are gone. Compared to the privilege of knowing Christ firsthand, everything I thought I had going for me is now insignificant. This is dog dung, okay, dog poop. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. And here's, catch this, I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. The only way to have goodness in our lives is from God who alone can change the nature of our worldview, our place of our motivation, and our belief system. Mark 10, 18, right? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. God is the absolute basis of good. Only He is imminently good. And what do I mean when I use that term? Uh, because we have dictionaries, right? I thought, this is a really interesting because last week we talked about transcendent peace and this week is imminent. It wasn't like I chose it on purpose. But then it suddenly hit me yesterday was that transcendence and imminence is usually something that people use to describe two very different qualities of God. But here we're talking about goodness and I thought imminent is suitable because by definition it says existing or operating within, inherent, or when it's use of God, permanently pervading and sustaining the universe. Right? God, His goodness is one that is permanently sustaining the universe, one that is inherent and in operation all the time. And so even amidst the worst ugliness that we see and brokenness in the world, what we, what we are saying is God's goodness is not broken. God's goodness remains and it's sustained throughout the universe. Question. How do we see goodness exist alongside so much bad stuff that goes on? I want to say this. The goodness of God brings restoration to our world insofar as we would abide with the one who is imminently good. In our abiding in the one who is imminently good, God's goodness restores our broken world. How do we go about seeing goodness restore our world? Cultivating that 
Let's look at that right now. Now we've talked about tov being the Hebrew word for good. Right? In Greek, there are four times in the New Testament that this word is used to describe goodness or is used for the word goodness. Agathosune. Uh, yeah, agathosune. It's a mouthful. Okay, but it means these. So it's such a rich and nuanced word that I'm going to give just a bunch of meanings together, okay? So just take it all in. Okay. Moral excellence and total devotion to God in action. Goodness is opposed to all that is evil and includes uprightness, kindness, and beneficence of heart and life. Goodness is something in a person that is not a mere passive quality. It is a deliberate preference of right from wrong. The firm and persistent resistance of all moral evil and the choosing and following of all moral good. In short, we're going to define goodness as the pursuit of moral beauty in our desires and actions. That's where we need the Holy Spirit. The moral beauty in our desires and actions. Come on, Holy Spirit, help us in receiving teaching and practicing uh, the ways of Jesus and living in intentional community, that is where we are changed inside out. Knowledge or willpower might change our behavior, but it's not going to change our nature. Only the Holy Spirit can. How can we cultivate the fruit of goodness in our lives, in our church, and in our city? First, stir up what is true and good. Just two points. The first one is stirring up what is good and true. Why do I say that? Well, think on how God's identity always lines up with His actions. His behavior lining up with His identity. What does that say? What should characterize us as a people with the identity of being God's people? Goodness should characterize us. Goodness that is righteousness in action and not just moral excellence that is like, oh, I'm you know, holier than thou. We're talking about moral excellence that is animated, that is compelled to act, that is compelled to be lived up because it characterizes us. And out of that identity as God's good people who have received God's goodness, who abide in Jesus, we lift that out. So being good and doing good, they're not separate, but it is our behavior lining up with who we are, right? And so Robert Haldani says this, you may not have heard of him, but this is a slightly controversial figure in Scottish uh, missions work, but how he's pretty passionate about just, um, you know, the work of Jesus in uh, society, right? In, social and political circles. So he says this, as we ought continually and prominently to maintain that there is naturally nothing good in man, we ought likewise to give equal prominence to the fact that all believers being born of God and made new creatures work the works of God and in their minds possess those dispositions which are produced by the Spirit through the truth. In our flesh there is nothing good, but from the work of the Spirit on our hearts we may be full of goodness. When we act out of that true goodness of the heart that God has transformed, 
then we are being obedient to God's commandments and we are truly seeking the benefit of others, not for our own sake. Our actions come from a place of selflessness because He was selfless for us, right? And we place the needs of others before our own. And some of the ways we can stir up what is true and good in our lives is super simple things that we hear all the time, which is always needing reminders to engage in Scripture, to worship, to gaze on Jesus. How do we stir up what is good? Uh, we soak in these. We soak in the Word of God. We seek His presence. Uh, we gaze at the Word together in our community as, as Christians. We learn to express love that is honest and true. And uh, that is not a passive action. It is something that requires effort to express honest love, to encourage, to correct, to grow in our relationships, to invest, and to sow into someone's life. These require us to do, and in doing so, we are stirring up. We are learning to cultivate goodness in our lives. Um, another aspect is to examine ourselves. Self-reflection or learning to be accountable to one another, right? Uh, we are examining our lives. We are making sure that our lives do not go unexamined, right? To reflect. Uh, this includes how we spend money, how we use our time, what we put our energy in, all these things. We examine ourselves. So when we stir up what is good and true and we make a point to do that, we are learning to abide in Jesus and we're learning to let His goodness shape us, right? So that we, as people made in God's image, who are restored to that image, right, since the 12th creation, by what? By the redemption of Christ, we are also capable of good. And therefore then, the fruit of the Spirit becomes characteristic of us because we belong to Jesus, right? Second thing, uh, I know this word is a little big, but I, I love the sound of it, okay? Uh, I have no idea why I didn't analyze. Second thing is, seek magnanimity okay if you've never heard that word before that's your word of the day yay first one is stir up what is true and good second is seek magnanimity now in some translations the fruit of goodness is translated as generosity right uh, and so magnanimity really means uh, a charitable person uh, one who is generous one who is benevolent and god uh, uh, is the one who is magnanimous and he empowers us to be uh, those who are magnanimous. Ephesians 2.10 says, He is, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. And therefore we should walk in them, right? Ephesians 2.10. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is what is not us, but it is God who works in us to will and to work for His good pleasure, animated by Him. And so this quote by this guy called Tom Schreiner says, Those who have the Spirit of God are strengthened to live lives of moral beauty. We talked about that, right? Moral beauty and their decency shines forth in a world that is blighted by evil. That's the kind of people uh, God calls us and empowers us to be, to live lives of moral beauty by the Spirit of God. Goodness would boldly choose to do what's right, and in so doing, inspires and encourages others to do good as well. And I want to say, right here in the city, many of you inspire me 
in being a person who exemplifies the goodness of God. Uh, so many of you, and in fact, I would say some of you, you should be the one standing here talking about being a people of good, being, you know, a, a company of good. And, and what does that mean when we say we live out of God's goodness? We cannot help but demonstrate it. We cannot help but exemplify it. Wendell Berry, who's writing on the hidden wound, is so inspiring. He says this, We have lived our lives by the assumption that what was good for us would be good for the world. We have been wrong. We must change our lives so that it will be possible to live by the contrary assumption that what is good for the world will be good for us. And that requires that we make the effort to know the world and learn what is good for it. What is the shalom that you know, God says to seek the prosperity of the city in which you live, right? To see and know the world where we are and to learn what is good for it and there live out what is good for the world because then it is what is good for us, right? That speaks a lot about what the church is called and empowered to do. And I want to say we as the people of God, being good and doing good in that uh, righteousness and, and moral beauty and excellence in action, what it looks like is a prophetic uh, influence to uh, reimagine and, and, and not to renounce uh, what is not good and to reimagine and co-create what is good, what is truly good in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our homes, our campuses a prophetic influence and vision to work with God and each other for that tove of God. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself, Jesus, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's the word there, zealous for good works, not to protect ourselves, but to work together to influence and to give magnanimously. When we practice generosity, we are abiding in Christ. When we are seeking and encouraging each other to be living magnanimously, we are being salt and light so that people will see our good works and praise the Father in heaven. That's what the verse says, right? Galatians 6, 9 is my encouragement to all of us. I know sometimes I think when we talk about doing good and being generous and just, you know, going out there and, just, um, you know, just being led by God. How do I speak life? How do I bring hope? How do I do this? I want to bring a message of hope. When we do that, sometimes we go tired, right? But Galatians 6, 9 tells us, Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We're not doing this for our own benefit, but we're doing it simply because God has shaped us as a people to be those who would stir up what is right and true, what is good, and to seek living magnanimously. Cultivating goodness, church, means participating with God in the kingdom work of calling everything back for good. Cultivating goodness is participating, I'm saying that again, with God in kingdom work of calling everything that is broken back for good. And we are up against so much that is not good, yet good and goodness permeate the intervention of God into our world. 
from the Old Testament to the New. God's goodness permeates our world, our universe. It pervades it. It's imminent. It is primarily imminent through the church. And Jesus was often associated with good. Why? He is the good shepherd. He went doing good works. He came to proclaim the good news. He came to proclaim the benefits of the messianic kingdom of God. And that is the ultimate tov, right? The tov that is to come, the good, 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 goodness of God, redemption, restoration, renewal. We are participating, working with God in this kingdom work to call everything back to that original goodness. And you know, do you realize when God made Adam and Eve, he didn't just say it is good. He said, very good. And that's like the, the best of the best. Like in the Hebrew of that translation, tov me'od, I mean, the best of the very best. How do we see the goodness of God existing alongside so much bad stuff that goes on? The goodness of God brings restoration into our world through us. To the extent that we would abide in Him, His goodness rubbing off on us, and then we go into the world being in it, although not of it, his goodness that rubs off on us, rubs off from us onto others. And it brings restoration to the world that is so broken, so in need of his goodness, so in need of beauty in the ugliness. And by the Spirit of God's help, I pray we will be glimpses of God's goodness. In our world, as we abide in Him, we embody His goodness and we work with Him in calling everything back to good until Christ returns. And I want to challenge you to just spend the next moment, wherever you are seated, uh, just, just, just to sit with this question. And it might be a little uncomfortable, but just bear with me because I, I know that God is stirring our hearts in this season where there is so much brokenness to just really recognize our identity in Him. But the question we must wrestle with, and perhaps for you, some of you more so today, with whatever that's burdening your heart, is this question, do you really believe God is good? Do you really believe God is good. And I invite you, would you just sit with that question for a while? And I pray you have this moment where you can just, in silence, wrestle with this question. Do you really believe God is good? And as you respond to that, the next is, what is God stirring in your heart today about His goodness in your life? Just be open to what the Spirit would lead you to recall. Maybe it's a picture or it's a scene from your life or it's something that's been on your heart. 
what is one thing God is stirring in your heart about His goodness in your life? Father, we just pray that um, for our brothers and sisters who are just wrestling with this question of your goodness, it's not a bad place. It, it's a place of closeness with you. It's a place of brokenness where we recognize that only you can remedy it. And so from that place, we just stand with each other at this moment and we want to stand trusting and knowing and together recalling that from the moment you made us and to this day of our life, you are good. And in places in our lives or in our hearts today where it's hard to sit with that or there's a tinge of a pain that goes with acknowledging that God, for whatever reason, from a past experience or a current burden or a pain that is in the heart that's sitting there today that you're surfacing, God, we pray um, yeah, that your goodness comes through and just bring about a restoration. And God, we together as a community, we just say that um, we want to abide in you. We want to know you who are good in our lives. Teach us to lean in, um, to just ask that you stir up what is true and good in us not by our own willpower or by how much we know, but just us just being willing to be in your presence and lean in together to stir this up. And we pray that your goodness would really empower and enable us to live out of that place of knowing, not without pain, that you are good and that you've called us to bring this goodness wherever we are in this world that we are in that is not fully good yet and so we just lift our hearts to you as a church and as your people in this city right here and we say that um, may you do your work of restoration in us and through us for your good and we say this in jesus name amen <laughs>